I want to take a short walk down memory lane this morning. You know that lane well, I think. No doubt as time passes during the day, as you sit in your apartment or perhaps take a walk, that thoughts flood through your mind of things in the past. How about that day you graduated from high school? Remember that day? We celebrated at night. I don't know how you celebrated, but we celebrated at night in our football stadium. We had a large stadium with many seating capacity for people to come. It was a beautiful night in June. I remember it well. Do you remember your graduation when you graduated from high school? Perhaps even from a training school. Maybe you went to school beyond high school, maybe college, or took some training somewhere to prepare you for a a work position. Those were highlights, and we remember them. How about your first car? Do you remember your first car? Whether it was a new car or an old car, it was your first car. And it held special meaning to you. It was yours, and you could have freedom to go where you wanted to go, when you wanted to go. The only problem, of course, was insurance and gas. (laughs) Those large expenditures and expenses of owning and operating a car. I remember my first car. It was a green Ford. I think it was like a 56 Ford or something like that. And it had a wobble on the steering wheel. That's why I could get it so cheaply. It was because there was a wobble in the steering wheel. Oh, but it was my car. It enabled me to travel great distances. and It was special to me. God wants us to remember... And he encourages us to bring back to our minds those things that came from the past and to think about them and to remember what he has done for us. These are human things that we remember quite readily. How about a couple more? How about the day that JFK was shot? You can probably tell me where you were on that fateful day. I was gathering for a French class at Wayne State University on the second floor of the building on campus. And I remember hearing the buzz of students I hadn't heard. And the students, as we gathered for class, told me, did you hear, did you hear, did you hear, did you hear? And the professor came and canceled class for the day. Ah, that was a memorable day. The death of JFK. How about the Vietnam War? That was a horrible war, wasn't it? Some of you may have had family that served in that horrible war. It seems to have affected men and women in ways that no other war has. I don't know why. I can't explain that. But I've met people who served in that war and it affected the rest of their lives. Well, I want us to take a slightly different turn 
in our walk down memory lane this morning. And I want us to recall some things that God did. Some events in history where God manifested himself that we can recall that still have an impact and effect upon our lives today. It all began with creation, of course. How God spoke everything into existence, the beautiful flowers that we see now beginning to bloom in the early stages of spring, and the birds that we see, and the beautiful sunshine and the blue sky. God spoke that into existence. It didn't just happen. It came from nothing. He spoke it into existence. And then he created the Garden of Eden for his first family, Adam and Eve. And there in that garden, he created for himself a garden temple. The Garden of Eden became his residence upon earth, where he came down and visited mankind. He walked with them. He talked with them. And he fellowshiped with them in his garden temple. He gave to Adam and Eve direction and assignment. How they should rule and reign in righteousness over the creation that he had designed and set into place. And for a time, Adam and Eve did just that. They ruled over creation. They fellowshiped with one another and with God. In perfect harmony, without guilt. Without fear. Fulfilling all that God designed them to be and to do. Then one day they decided to yield to the temptation of a creature rather than follow the command of the Creator. And they sinned and they rebelled against God. And they chose to eat of the forbidden fruit that has had history making implications. Their decision affects you today. Their decision to rebel against God has its effects upon your life and my life today. For we have inherited that same sinful nature that came upon Adam and Eve when they rebelled against God. We have that same nature residing within us today. Every man, woman, Boy and girl has that same nature. As they rebelled against God, God in His grace and in His mercy came down to them and gave them a promise. He said, I will send a champion who will crush the serpent. He didn't say any more at the time. Just a very simple promise that someone would come. And then he banished them from the garden because of their sin. No longer enjoying the presence of God in their lives. After God sent them from the garden, he did resume from time to time his visitations with people. He came, for example, to Enoch. And he manifested himself to Enoch. And he revealed himself to Noah, the builder of the ark. And after Noah came a man by the name of Abram. And God called Abram out of the 
idol-worshipping community and culture in which he lived. And told him, if you will obey me and follow me, I will take you to a new land. And in that land I will make of you many nations. And Abram followed. And as God continued to reveal and manifest himself to Abram, he reassured him on several occasions of his promises to him. Until finally he made his covenant with Abram with an oath. And he changed his name to Abraham and said, By my own name I promise most assuredly your seed will bless all nations. And out of your seed will come one who will bless all nations. He included in that explanation with Abraham at that time that there would come, however, an interim of 400 years during which Abraham's offspring would live in a strange land, not in the promised land, but in a strange land. And they would become oppressed by the people of that nation. But God promised, after 400 years, I will redeem them with my strong arm and I will take them to the land which I have promised to you. And I will give it to them. We have in recent days studied some of that movement of how God came through Moses and revealed himself to Moses and then Moses went to the children of Israel as they suffered under the oppressive slavery in Egypt. And through Moses, God performed a number of plagues upon Egypt for their evil upon his chosen people. But then the time came when the 400 years had expired and God said to Moses, it's time, it's time. I will now redeem the people and they will, those who have oppressed you will urge you to leave and will drive you out and I will redeem you with a strong arm. And we examined Passover, how God brought one last plague upon Egypt, the death of the firstborn. And how God provided Passover for the children of Israel so that their households would experience protection from the death angel. And on that night, God redeemed them and brought them out. As he brought them out, he led them into what appeared to be a trap. For he brought them by a path that brought them face to face with the Red Sea. And on one side was a, a mountain, and on the other side was a mountain, and behind them they could hear the thundering hooves of the chariots from the men of Egypt chasing after them. And the scriptures tell us that God placed between the children of Israel and the approaching warriors from Egypt a cloudy pillar of fire. His presence. He revealed himself to his children that he had redeemed out of Egypt and said, Go forward. Go through the sea. Moses, raise your rod over the sea and their children will be able to pass through on dry land. And he listened to the 
command of God and he raised his rod over the waters and they parted and the Israelites passed through on dry land. They got to the other side and scampered up the the walls on the other side and watched as the pursuing enemy came in between the waters hoping to recapture the Israelites after they had fled. Only to their doom to die as the waters cascaded back together and they all drowned in the waters of the Red Sea. God displaying his mighty arm on their behalf. Then we came to the occasion where the children of Israel were hungry. They didn't have food. And they complained to Moses, you brought us out here to die. We don't have any food to eat. What will we do? God went, and Moses went before God with the complaint of the children of Israel. What shall I do? God said, I will provide manna. And in the morning you will see the glory of God. You will see my manifest presence among you as I provide food for you. Manna, bread from heaven. And for every day of the 40 years that they wandered on their way to the promised land, they had manna. Well, I say every day, every day except on the Sabbath. God provided double for them on the day prior to Sabbath. So that on the Sabbath they could honor that day and not go out and collect as normally. That brought us to Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, Moses recognized it because he had encountered the burning bush in which God called to him and sent him back to the children of Israel in Egypt to serve as their advocate and their one who would guide them out of slavery to the promised land. So he knew that locality well. He had fed his father-in-law's sheep right in that vicinity. And when he came to Mount Sinai, he remembered the promise that God had made to him. God promised to Moses when he, at the burning bush, he said, And this is the proof to you that I have called you. You will come back and you will worship me on this mountain. And when you do, you will remember that I told you. You would come here and you would worship me. And as Moses climbed the mountain up to see God and to meet with him, the scriptures tell us that Moses met with God frequently face to face as a friend to friend. And as he climbed the mountain and went up there, God spoke to him. And he said, I have a message for you to take back to the children of Israel. Go back and tell them that I am the one who has redeemed them. I brought them out and I brought them to myself. I have reconciled them to myself and I will make of them a great nation. They will surpass all other nations. And I have set my special affection upon them. Go down and tell them that I make this promise to them. That if they will obey me, and if they will fulfill my covenant, they shall become royal priests for me. 
they will become a holy nation. And they shall be a blessing to all nations. We read about that in Exodus chapter 19. I want us to read it once again, just as a reminder of what God did on that, on that day for those people. Because it reminds us of what He did for us and what He has done on behalf of us. We start reading in Exodus chapter 19, verse number 1. In the third month after the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. And when they were departed from Rephidim, and were come to the wilderness of Sinai, they encamped in the wilderness, and there Israel encamped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and Jehovah called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be mine own possession from among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people, and set before them all these words which Jehovah commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that Jehovah has said we will do. That reminds us of the promise that God made to Moses and through Moses to the children of Israel how they would become God's special people and how he required of them obedience and faithfulness to the covenant that he would make with them do you see God's sovereignty at work God, the sovereign God, the transcendent God, the unique, only one God, at work among the children of Israel, to whom he had made the promise to Abraham. And when he had promised to Abraham, it became the pivot point of all of Scripture. Everything after God's call of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 hinges and goes back to the promise that God made to Abraham. And now here's God showing himself faithful to the promise that he made not only to Adam and Eve that he would bring forth the seed of the woman who would provide a champion. He maintained the lineage through Abraham down into the children of Israel. But he also redeemed them to himself. He proved his faithfulness to his promise. His omnipotent power. His grace. Can you recall God's work of grace in your life? Can you look back in Maybe recent time, 
maybe as recent as last week, but maybe even prior times when you can say with assurance and understanding, God did that. God showed to me His grace, His mercy, His kindness. He intervened in the affairs of my life in such a fashion that He showed Himself sovereign and and in control of all things. Even in the everyday events of our lives. God wants us to remember those things. God calls upon us to reflect upon them and to remember God's goodness. I bring it up this morning because we have a tendency to forget. We have a tendency to forget. But God wants us to remember His goodness because it calls forth from us as we recall and remember His goodness and His intervention in our lives. It encourages us to trust Him, to love Him, to worship Him, to obey Him. God doesn't just give us a set of commands and say, there they are, and then kind of like the mother bird nudges her young out of the nest and in essence says good luck God doesn't do that to us he does provide for us direction and he does give to us in his word description of how he wants us to live but then he enables us and gives us the power to do that and he wants us to remember those times in our lives when he intervened and showed his love and his grace and his mercy that we might love him more that we might trust him more that we might reject our self-reliance and trust only in him well as we look to this passage it doesn't really end there Because if we start reading in verse number 9, we read immediately that God goes back, Moses goes back to God and revisits him. And God has another conversation with him up on the mountain. And that begins in verse number 9. And we'll read that and we'll make a couple comments on it as we observe these verses. Starting in verse number 9, it says, And Jehovah said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto Jehovah. In other words, he said, I gave your message and they said, we will do it. We will follow. We promise to obey your covenant. And Jehovah said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready against the third day. For the third day Jehovah will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And you shall set bounds unto the people round about it, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. Whatsoever toucheth the mount shall be put to death. 
No hand shall touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their garments. And he said unto them, Be ready for the third day. In this second visit by Moses up the mountain to see God, God gives to him a hint, a hint of what lies ahead. He didn't describe for him in full what that was or what it included, but he gave him a hint, and he gave him a hint in this fashion. You need to prepare yourself because I am holy and I require holiness from my people. And the next time I come down, I will reveal that holiness in such a way and in such a powerful manifestation on the mountain that whoever touches the mountain will die, whether it be animal or persons. And I want you to know that I am a holy God. Now, he had alluded to that in the previous verses that we read, where he said that he would make of them a holy nation. We have a lot of viewpoints of the nature and character of God. God is love. As though that means he isn't anything else. And we stretch that belief about the God of love To be one in which he accepts anything and everything. He's just a God of love. Just a kind of a kindly old man sitting up somewhere in a rocking chair. We picture him just kind of rocking back and forth, worrying, oh my, oh my, oh my. I just love everybody and just love everything. I just love. God is love. But that does not describe God's love. God is also a God of grace. That doesn't mean he gives us anything and everything we want. God is also a God of justice. God demands and requires justice. He has a holy law which he calls upon us to obey and to follow. And when we fail to follow and obey his law, we face his justice. Well, we could give a long list of his characteristics and attributes. One of which we fail to really grasp and seldom mention describes his holiness. God is a holy God. And he demands of us holiness. He says, because I am holy, you must be holy. And in preparation for providing to the children of Israel a description of the holiness that he demands of them, that in their obedience to it, they would become a holy nation, he prepares them for that presentation and he prepares them in this fashion I want you to take three days to get ready I want you to set aside everything that is unclean 
I want you to purify your garments. Do the laundry. Wash and dry your clothes so that they are clean. And come the third day and present yourself to me at the base of the mountain. And you will see my presence in a cloud at the top of the mountain. And I will begin to reveal to you who I am and what I require of you. Now we know because we have all of the scriptures, we have an advantage over them. They didn't know what all that included. We have the scriptures so we know what God had designed for them. For beginning in chapter 20, God begins to reveal to them His law, His commandments, His demands upon the people to become His special people, and what they must fulfill in order for them to rise above all other nations, and to become that holy nation that He described of them. And in that law, He also describes for them the way in which He will come and manifest His presence to them, an abiding presence, not one that comes and goes and comes and goes and comes and goes, as in the past, but one that comes and abides, because God has never forgotten His plan and purpose that He began with creation. When He created and spoke all things into existence, His plan and purpose included the manifestation of His presence through His creation, Adam and Eve, to all of the ends of the earth. He gave that direction to them in the Garden of Eden, and they failed. They rebelled against that command. God still has that plan and purpose. That's why He called Abraham. That's why He has set aside for Himself this special nation. These people. Because he still wants to manifest himself through his creation to all of the ends of the earth. And he now will begin to describe how that will take place. He will do it through a tabernacle. He will do it through a special people. And they will carry that message not only in the way in which they live, but also by teaching, by telling by calling others to come and worship the true and the living God. God is something, isn't he? To try and describe God causes me at times to become speechless, to try and come up with the words to describe him. And one of the ways in which we become familiar with God and understand him and know him is to recall what he has done. We have the scriptures that describe for us what God has done. And we have our lives which we can review and we can look back over the years and weeks and months and recall times when God worked in us like he worked as described in his word. In order that we might trust him in order that we might call upon Him and love Him. Now the plan that He began to reveal to the children of Israel at Mount Sinai had its conclusion 
in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ became the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. John the Baptist came ahead of him and foretold, Prepare the way, there's one coming after me that you must worship. And the scriptures describe for us that the Lord Jesus was the Word made flesh. And he lived among us. He resided on earth in a human body like yours and like mine. And he revealed and manifested himself to us. And we have it recorded in God's word how he did that. And he made a promise to us. And we read that promise in in John chapters 14, 15, and 16. He said, I am going away. I am going to my Father. However, I won't leave you comfortless. You're not going to be alone anymore, like in the past days. I will send my Spirit, and my Spirit will come and will live and dwell within you, that my presence may live with you forever. No longer coming and going, an abiding presence. And we read of of that occasion in Acts chapter 2, when the Lord Jesus sent His Spirit. And His Spirit came and took residence among people. And even unto our day, He takes residence in people like you and like me. Jesus also told us of a coming day, a day of consummation, in which God will wrap up all things. A day of consummation. We read about it in Revelation We read about it first in Revelation chapter 5, and then we read about it further in Revelation 21 and 22, in which it describes for us, at that time of consummation, that people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, will meet around the throne of the Lord Jesus and give Him praise, honor, and glory that He deserves. God will have fulfilled His plan and His purpose. And it says in order to ultimately fulfill it all, He will destroy this earth, this land that we see and that we love so much, that we enjoy. God will destroy it. Because it exists under sin. And God is holy, remember. He wants a holy earth. And so he will create a new heaven and a new earth. And a new city will come down. A city in which those who love the Lord Jesus will live and reside with him for all eternity. Time without end. And as we review these truths, it calls upon us to trust him. To love him. I pray that the Spirit of God will work in your life today to bring about in you a trust and a faith in the Lord Jesus that will change your life, that will encourage you, that will cause you to increasingly love Him more and more, that will cause you to trust Him increasingly more and more. I pray the Spirit of God will come into your life and Give that to you today. Let's close with a word of prayer.